Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets kicked off their West Coast trip with a tough task taking on the Sacramento Kings. We tell the tape of how the Nets were left to game chase coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, uh, yes, my friends, it is the Lockdown Nets podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. And Doug, just like we knew it, West Coast trip, always difficult. And it didn't help taking on the Kings to start this thing off. Yeah, look, three couple day layoff or a few day layoff after the big win over the Wizards, flying high off the you know three game win streak. We but we had kind of cautioned everyone that said that you know let's be a little careful going into this West Coast trip. This is easily their their hardest part of their schedule to date, right? I mean they've not had not an easy schedule, but this four game stretch in particular, Sacramento, Phoenix, Denver, and Golden State was going to be their toughest stretch of games. And when we talked about it, we said if they can get out of Utah and they can be two and three on that on that road trip, then we probably feel okay about it realistically just where they stood. Does not get off on the right foot necessarily or at all uh, against the Kings. Ultimately lose 131 to 118 in a game that at times felt close but never felt all that close, right? It, it, there was a lot of stuff what we can get into here, but just on a high level – this one didn't feel like the Nets or really had a ton of a chance. And I don't want to just put L's up on the on the win-loss sheet before the games even start because that's silly. But just remembering that, like, hey, this was always going to be pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Kings are a good team, right? You watched yeah. the game last night. They moved the ball well, and we'll talk about some of the areas that the Nets had issues specifically with these matchups. But they moved the ball really well. They work in transition. They have an active big in Sabonis, obviously. And then just to, to your point about... <laughs> When you think about starting a West Coast trip, I think the big problem here is, too, it's like, you know, they're going to the West Coast. and It just feels like sometimes you say, oh, well, the day's off. That could be better for you. I think it's worse for you because you're trying to acclimate. You want to come out firing and then you get behind against the Kings. And I think that's the hardest part to start a road trip is not only trying to do it on the other coast, but then also be like, OK, now come back in the first quarter after you have a team really shooting, shooting the ball well in the Kings. Now try to surge, right? Like. I don't know if this game goes any differently if it's just back and forth to start because it always felt like the Nets were were trying to overcome something and that was really just a sluggish start for them. Yeah, look, I don't know. You know, going across the country is not easy. The ch- time zone differences. You're going to we a place sit on the East Coast and watch these games, Doug. Let alone travel. <laughs> you're going to you're going to a place that might be fake, Sacramento. I, I I don't know anyone that's ever been to Sacramento. I know a lot of people. I, a lot of people. I don't know a single person that's ever been. To Doug's been around. He's traveled. He's been places. But I've been. I spent a long time in California myself. That Sacramento wasn't on the bucket list. No, but um, in, in all things considered, this look I, again. You hate to just predetermine what games are going to be like. Like, right, like, oh, or, or you hate to just build in the excuses before the games even start because we've talked about this last episode. The Nets are a good team, like, they they have the ability to beat these teams, they've shown that already. Yeah. It's already they've already have it on their resume that they have it in them to hang with even the best teams in basketball. So, I don't think we can, I don't want to like re 
like sort of just rework our expectations based on, oh, you know, they it's the West Coast. It's the time difference. They look sluggish. There's still a part of them that they need to take every single game that they can get because they're just also not good enough of a team to take games off either, right? We saw that against the Hornets. Like they, they have to be up for every single game basically from now till the end of the season because they just probably don't have like the overall talent to just take a game off here or there. That being said, when you look at, like what you said, you look at the Kings as a team. They're a very, very good team, right? They're they're a well-rounded team. They might not be able to hit the highest levels, but like from built from a regular season standpoint, yeah. like they're just really good. They have a really good starting lineup. They have a couple key bench guys that can come in and hurt you if you you know if your bench unit isn't running really great. A strength of the Nets this season, right? The being able to beat other teams' bench units. It's tougher against the Kings with guys like Malik Monk and Trey Lyles. Like it's just going to be hard. So this game, just like setting up for the Nets was set up to be a tough, it was going to be a tough ask, right? Because <laughs> the yeah. things that they're going to do, the things that they've been able to take advantage of from other teams really just weren't present against the Kings too, which is the other hard part with which is a rather, so there's everything sort of like lining up against them in the ways that they've been able to win this season. The Kings weren't going to be able to present themselves in a way that like was going to help the Nets be able to take clear advantages. And by the way, though, you, you touched on it there. It's also all right for it to be, I said West Coast, right, and the difference and all those things, but it's also okay for it to be. You lost a basketball game to a good basketball team, right? Yeah. Like I, you and I, I think, are pretty good and balanced around this stuff, but you do also have to remember it's an 82-game season and all the narratives that we talk about and the bench play and the things that are going well, the development, the chemistry, the shooting, that's exactly what's being discussed for the Kings and for every other team around the league. I mean, not the Pistons, right? And not the Wizards, but other teams, real basketball teams. Like they're talking about all the things that their that their squads are working on. They think they can get better at. And if you're the Kings, whether or not we think objectively they have deep playoff run aspirations that they can actually achieve, they believe that they can do that because they had success last season a year ago, right? They have these core of players that contribute to their success. So there's actually, that might be the other factor here too, especially what a little over a quarter of the way through the season, the Kings aren't playing with like house money around this stuff. And not that the nets are, but the Kings are a team that had success last year. And they come into this season saying, when they look at their schedule, they don't look at it as, hey, good battle and a test against the Brooklyn Nets. They probably look at the Nets game and go, we win this game. This is a game on our schedule that we need to go win, especially in a Western Conference with as competitive as it is. So it's not even about, oh, you're going to get the Kings best shot. It's about you have to give the Kings your best shot. And I would say the Nets hit all the right boxes there. Coming up in a second, though, we'll talk about the Fox of it, the Murray of it, the Sabonis of it, the... (laughs) The one key stat, it never comes down to just one key stat, Doug, but maybe it does. We'll dive into that and also what went well for the Nets, even in a loss coming up here in just one second. All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about our friends over at Game Time. We're buying tickets, whether it's for the sporting event, the play, the concert, whatever you're going into your area, you want the ticket buying experience to be easy. You want it to be fun because you want to just be able to get to the thing you want to see without any of the hassle. This is where Game Time comes in for the ticket buying experiences. Um, you don't have to worry when you're buying tickets for your next big event. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater events near you. They get the killer last minute deals, they have the all in prices. You're going to be able to see exactly the view from your seat. Best price guarantee. Check, check, check. They're checking all the boxes over at game time. If you head over to game time right now, it's a little bit out there. 
But when the Nets come back to town, the Barclays, $12.20 against the Knicks, starting at $87. Nuggets at Nets, starting at $56. Price dips down here a little bit for Pistons at Nets. But we talked a little bit about why those games could be important, too, or for the Pistons and the Nets. It's all there over on Game Time. All you want to do right now is you want to download the Game Time app. You want to create an account. You're going to use the code LOCKDOWNNBA. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Create an account. Redeem the code locked on MBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right. So, as we continue our post game episode, and yeah, it's a little bit later than you normally anticipate for us, but guess what? The games start later than we anticipate. That's hard for Doug and I. We don't we have to make the, the schedule, guy. Like, look, if it was up, <laughs> we made the schedule look a little different. We don't make the schedule. Not <laughs> by, by the way, you know, this might as well be watching like the Paris Olympics, which is like 3 a.m. or something. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> 10 p.m. start, 3 a.m. start. It's all relative to me. And frankly, do it at 3 a.m. because I'll watch that game and Doug and I'll do the podcast at 6 a.m. We're ready go. to go. These schedules are not right for ours, for our crew here. But uh, I mentioned a couple of things. We get into the players here, and, and I, I say it tongue in cheek. Listen, you know, the Nets only scored 18 points in the first quarter of this game. That's why I mentioned about chasing yeah. this a little bit. And it just feels like once you get behind like that, they surged in the second quarter. They made this thing close before the break. They ended up giving a little, a little bit of a run there as well. So they're always kind of trying to catch up with the Kings. Now, when you shoot 14 of 29, 48% from deep, you think two things. One, that's a really nice percentage. And two, the Brooklyn Nets normally take more shots from beyond the arc. And they should have. Because 25 of 45 on 55% shooting from deep for the Kings. Again, there's so there's a lot of other stuff that works really well for the Kings in this game. Also, that's usually a box score stat. And when you see those those that volume and that percentage, you go, well, that was probably pretty tough. Yeah, Nets struggled with this all night. Uh, they could not contain the Kings around the three-point line. It was a problem. We've seen this problem creep up for them in the past um, in other games where they're just not able to run off shooters. Other teams are able to get super clean looks. You know, think back to the Hornets game where they're just not closing out space. They're losing their marks um, sort of in the in the drop coverage. Um, and so, and they're just, these the Kings, basically what felt like all night, were just getting... I wouldn't call them completely wide open looks, but very, very mm. clean looks. They're hit, and they were hitting all those, and they were hitting some of the contested ones too. And when those are when those are both happening, it can feel really, really bad because you expect to probably hit the the, the open ones at a higher than normal rate, but when the contested ones are going in as well, then it feels like everything's just sort of falling apart. And yeah. this this game had the feeling of that for the Nets, uh, kind of from the beginning. The, the looks felt a lot like really, really too easy. They could not navigate the screens very well. I mean, the Sabonis piece is always going to be hard. He's a really good screen setter. They run that DHO action, uh, like sort of foul line extended, and that's really hard. And the Nets, we already know, don't have, you know, outside of Dennis Smith Jr., who was not available in this game, and they really could have used them. Yeah. They don't have great point of attack screen navigators like right. cam thomas really isn't that guy spencer dinwiddie is that guy mikhail was really trying at times but it just really wasn't totally happening so when you have this guy in sabonis who's able to kind of set up those actions and they are running a lot of like sort of pin down actions to free up shooters as well the nets just really weren't able to ever navigate it to a way that it felt like they were ever contesting and we already know the nets on defense, they're going to play the drop coverage and they're going to try to limit stuff in the paint. And they've been okay-ish allowing other teams to shoot threes mm. and say, hey, we'll just kind of live with the results, right? We want to protect the paint and the drop. We want to make sure it's not easy for you there. And then 
what what it does to your eye and it's correct is that it makes it look like you're packing the paint which they kind of are and they're allowing these guys to do it but you are going to run into teams where it's like hey you have keegan murray you have kevin herter you have trail house off the bench you have malik monk off the bench you even have darren fox who can really who can knock down open threes now that's just like too many guys to to play that style with all the way and not get really really hurt and and that's kind of what we saw from beginning to end from the kings yeah 15 transition points for the for the kings as well like i think they're effective in that and i only i bring that to get into sabonis who had nine assists and led the team in that category that's a really tough one for the brooklyn nets you mentioned the point of attack defense just not being very good this year overall especially without smith jr but like that's the part where defensively you're already left at a disadvantage it feels like right at start of at point one you're a half a step behind and, and that's where the trickle-down effect is, okay, you couldn't fight over the screen, so now you've lost your man. So now your man has lane penetration. Maybe it's the drop coverage that they're attacking, or it's that they're going to go ahead and attack well, and then kick outside. Now you're trying to recover on the perimeter. Now the extra pass, which the Kings are very good at, right, making that extra pass. That's what led to just even the open threes a lot of times. It was, well, if you're half a step, now it's a full step. Now it's two steps, right? You, you can't recover that ground inside of a single possession when you have a team that moves the ball at a pretty good pace in the Kings. Because there were times where they were trying to come over the screen to be able to track back from behind. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's that's an effective way to make at least limit the come under the screen. You know, the other guy, you know, maybe the guy tries to tag <laughs> or something or, you know, hedge hedge the, the shooter just a little bit. Right. Um, or maybe stunt the shooter a little bit and then, you know, recover. Even the times like this happened to Mikhail a couple times where, you know, they come over the screen. But then those guys are really like De'Aaron Fox is really good at operating the lane too, and so yeah. you are you're you're really going to be in trouble there also. So again, like not to, this is not an excuse. Like the Nets have to do better with this stuff. Like they have like this has been sort of problematic. Not even sort of this has been problematic for them all season long. It's a recurring issue when they face teams that are particularly good at this. Like the Wizards stink, so they're not going to be able to be like the, the Wizards aren't going right. to punish you. They stink. They don't have anyone that's going to do it. Like they take ter- terrible shots. They're not going to take advantage of your weak areas when you have a pretty complete team in the Kings that set screens. Well, that mm-hmm. run DHO. Well, that get that find open shooters, corner shooters really well, that find weak side action. You know what I mean? Like at, when you've ca- kind of just ca- brought too many guys onto the ball, they do all that stuff really technically sound. This is why they made it. This is why they were so good in the regular season last year, because right. they just do, they execute really, really well. You know, maybe it's has a ceiling for the playoffs, but, for the regular season, like they're they're a team that's going to execute on this stuff. And you, if you have flaws in your defense, like not being able to come over screens, like not be able to track shooters, which they lost their marks all the time uh, yeah. in this game. Like if you're you're in trouble, like you just they're they're too good to make those mistakes. Again, this isn't the Wizards. This isn't some of these other these some of these other teams that you can get away with it. They will punish you for that kind of stuff. Yeah, bad teams only hurt themselves. Good teams hurt you, right, in, in those type of matchups and those mistake areas. We'll talk about in the back end the the bench unit in that matchup and also what the Nets did well in this game. It, it, the, again, it's all right to lose a basketball game and not have it be that the sky is falling or that everything was was awful for the Nets. But 
Let's stay inside this Kings lineup and remind you, four players out of the starters were in double digits. Murray and Fox combined for 19 of 35. They go for 9 of 14 from beyond the arc and for, oh, quick math, 53 points total. So like that tandem rate there was the starting point really being effective against the Nets. I already mentioned nine assists for Sabonis. Well, that goes along with a double-double, 16 rebounds, 15 points. Won't even get to the bench yet. We'll save that for the next segment there. But it that, that, that to me was, there was no answer. You go inside the starting lineup and look at their percentages, right? I mean, Sabonis was 6 of 14, even even Barnes. So actually, I mean, really, it's like forgotten man in their starting unit. Well, he goes 3 of 4 from deep and gives you 14 points. Everybody clicked. This When I look at their box score, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of like when Dorian Finney-Smith was starting for the Nets. And you go through and you're like, oh, look. Double-double from Nicholas Claxton, and there's the three-pointers. Not a lot from DFS, but when he got his chances, he knocked them down. So when you have that type of balance inside of your starting unit, then you just ask to hand the baton off to the second unit like the Nets have done all year and start to bury teams and start to make them chase. So to me, by the way, watching Fox in this game, phenomenal. Like he, you, you mentioned it before, great at attacking into the paint, great at having you sag off, knock it over the screen. He can do all phases, and that's a really hard player to manage when you have talent around them, and he and he is capable, excuse me, of making the right basketball decision as well. Like that's a good player. That's hard to defend against when you have the issues the Nets have had defensively. And I got to tell you right now, I, no one's gonna want to hear this, but like this could have been way worse. I, like the Kings put up one thirty one and missed a ton at the rim. <laughs> like yeah, early yeah, in the yeah. game, like they missed, they missed. If you looked at their uh, first half splits where like, it was just a sea of missed shots right at the rim, like bunnies missed. And now the Nets missed their fair share of these two, like on drives, they had a lot of drives that were, like, weren't able to convert, but there's a world where the Kings are making their at the rim shots too, which are well, a lot of them were very makeable yeah. and they just, then they just kind of just missed the bunnies. I mean, it could have been way worse. <laughs> and, and that's, again, that's tough to look at when a team put a hung 131 on you and think, man, that could have been 150 <laughs> or something, like, or something that, like that. 131. Boy, that could have gotten ugly, huh? <laughs> well, but I mean, that's really one of the main reasons the Nets were able to stay in the game late is because they, like the Kings had not converted a bunch of opportunities and the Nets were able to just dial it up at times enough on defense to slow down the attack to claw their way back in, though it never fell close. We have a few more things we want to talk about here, uh, just in this sort of like where they were kind of chasing the game. For the most part, we'll get into that here in a second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. The weather's getting colder, but the NFL and NBA offers stay hot over on FanDuel right now. New customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. What's that mean? You put $5 on the money line. Just you pick the team that you think is going to win. New York Giants wins. <laughs> that would have worked for you last night, buddy, against the Packers. That's 150 bucks if your team wins over at FanDuel. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action spreads, player props, over under so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get in on the action this season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL and NBA. Now, the other thing here is we wrap up the 131-118 loss. Tying a bow on the start of the Brooklyn Nets road trip on the West Coast is you look inside this box score. There's a couple of stats I just wanted to touch on. First of all, you give up 77 points in the second half of this game, 44 points in the third quarter. Now, you mentioned all the reasons why some of these opportunities come for the Kings. And yes, they shoot an incredibly high percentage from deep. And they're only a middle-of-the-pack team, actually, by the NBA standards as far as three-point shooting percentage. But if you, you know... Ball goes in, bad luck, right? Open shots, yeah. et cetera. But you'd like to think 
that when you look at this box score and you go, well, you only gave up 26 points in the first quarter and only 28 in the second quarter to give that explosion up. That actually does ring a little bit of an alarm bell for me just in terms of halftime adjustments. What is our intention? How are we going to come out and try to maybe clamp down a little bit on that end of the floor? The other note that I'll just make here quickly, too, is 38 assists. The Kings are among the best in the league. They average 28 a game. That's like fourth in the league. But 38 assists, just the ball movement looked, it was noticeable from the eye test that they were moving the ball around incredibly well, makes it, as we said, hard for the Nets to chase this game. Okay, fine. The bench scoring was also a problem here as we make this comparison and look back at the Nets side of things. There just wasn't the same spark coming out of this for the Nets that they've had off the bench, even though you can look inside of it for Brooklyn and you can you can see the numbers, 13 points from Dorian Finney-Smith. He, he did his job, three for four from beyond the arc. That's effectively it. And we already highlighted when you have Monk, when you have Lyles, 17 and 21 points respectively, it just didn't have the same juice that the Nets have had out of that unit all year. And again, like this is where they desperately needed the guys that they have been able to make hay with, like Lonnie Walker, like Dennis Smith Jr. These guys that have provided. Lonnie feels like a, 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 from an offensive perspective, like could have used a little bit of Lonnie here. Yeah, like just that they, they've, they've really one of the big the big reasons the Nets have been so successful this season is their bench unit. Like we talked about earlier is their bench unit has been able to outplay a lot of other teams' benches. Like you get down to that seventh, eighth guy, and the Nets just most nights have a better seventh and eighth guy than a lot of other teams. They might not have the better one and two guys for every team, but what the deeper it gets – the you know the, the the deeper the rotations get in the regular season, these this has been a source of strength for the Nets. But again, that's like that's not going to be an advantage against the Kings. They just have too many. They have these same guys. Like they have this like Malik Monk, Trey Lyles. Like they have those guys coming. Even even Kalen Ellis. Like they have guys that are able to come in off the bench and and and, and hurt you here. And so I I'm not like shocked that that was the case. I will say too. I, I, you know, the 44 points in the third, I do feel like that was like a function of like sort of the Kings were doing the same stuff. It was just kind of just going in more. <laughs> right? Right, I, right. I I didn't think that there was like any wholesale changes there. It just more reflected that the things that were just almost working for them in the first in the first half began to all the way all work. work for them. <laughs> And the Nets, like 18 points in the first quarter is totally unacceptable. The offense looked really bogged down. I think they're still trying to work through a a scenario where like guys like Cam Thomas and McHale and all these guys are able to sort of share the court at the same time. And there are times where it's like not totally working still, right? Like Cam Mm -hmm. goes eight for 21 from the field. Um, Not every shot looked amazing. Two assists in 31 minutes. Like that, those numbers have to improve. Like for the Nets, it's not just I'm not putting it on him. I'm just saying that like for these guys to to function within the same offense together and hang with these teams, like that offense is going to be need to be cohesive in a way that's like not just people just putting up shots. Like they need to get they, they need to the ball movement has to be there. They have to be guys with spacing too. And so I just think we saw the Kings be able to function on that or excuse me execute on that in a way that the Nets just really weren't. So I think. In a lot of ways, I actually don't think the Kings are like, and that's like dissimilar teams, right? Like mm-hmm. Kings are like they're they're very similar in the way that they have the the their talent dispersion. The Kings just have a, probably a bit more of it, and the Nets showed you tonight. Like if they're not executing really, really pre- precisely, they don't have a massive margin for error here. Like right. they 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 have to be able to do most things well on, on a given night because they just don't have like the the superstar latitude to be able to be like, Hey, we'll just take a quarter off and then we'll come all the way back. They're just like not that good of a team either when they face these good teams. Hey, you can have 
you say like one guy in the starting unit can kind of have a an off night and then the bench you know two guys step up and that recovers for it you know it's funny you mentioned the box score i'm not picking on these guys before i want to ask you a question about maybe the rotations here for jock vaughn in a game like this and it's always easy to do it when you get a bit of a blowout loss here but if dinwiddie and thomas are going to share the court together you know they combine 13 of 35 the assist numbers for dinwiddie are fine the 16 points right box score looks fine for him you go oh eight and 16 that's great but two of eight from deep, five of 14 from the field. Then you mentioned Cam Thomas. If you're going to be the leading shooter in terms of volume and you took eight more shots than Mikhail Bridges, eight more shots than Cam Johnson, seven more shots than Spencer Dinwiddie, it has to be the both end because you can live with an eight for 21 night from him if, if the shots aren't falling and it's a little bit difficult. But then you need to have, the, as we've said before, the four, the five, maybe even career high, getting towards six assists in a game because you still have that kind of gravity as a player bringing people in towards you and allowing others to have some easy looks. No Lonnie Walker in this game, though. I did want to make sure we touched on this. No Lonnie Walker, you said no Dennis Smith Jr. either. Armani Brooks was here for this game, and and I will say it feels like we just said if Lonnie Walker was available, you would have used more of him in this game. It's the kind of guy you could have needed. Well, that is what Armani Brooks is. Are like, are you at all surprised that you don't that there wasn't the kind of one to one? Maybe Lonnie Walker wouldn't have played if he had been healthy and available, and this was going to be the strategy no matter what. It feels like Armani Brooks perimeter shooting. You could have used a dose of him along the way here, maybe to try to make up for what you weren't getting from Dinwiddie or getting from Cam Thomas necessarily in the starting unit. Yeah, I'm just not. I, I know people are gonna. I, I know people are gonna differ on this. I'm just not. I I I don't really ever subscribe to the. Oh, it doesn't look like this guy has it. Let's bring another guy in. I know fan people yeah, you've want been to do pretty this consistent all the time. with that. Yeah, it's like not I know people want to do this all the time hands. where it's like I can tell, I can tell they don't have it. It's like you can't tell. Like, like for the most part, you can't tell. A lot of people say or, that, but I can tell. I, I mean, I'm not talking about you, buddy. You obviously can tell. <laughs> but the but the <laughs> present company excluded here. We can tell, but no, you out there can I, I just I, I would really I would really pause people on, on thinking that because it's just not how that this thing works I, the eye test around oh he doesn't have it tonight so we're going to bring in this guy who barely plays because he's going to be the answer I, that's just really not typically how it'd go I, i'm for running your core guys as much as possible to get back in thing some nights it's going to go down and some nights it's not and i also think too with the nets where the nets are concerned you know this is the anti money brooks or really just the anti big changes thing I, I do think the nets at this point actually need to one see what this looks like against good teams. So I don't mind keeping these guys out, like keeping the core group out there against mm, good teams. That's a like, really good point. That's like, a, you that, just that, might have the, to, that might be the whole point coming out of a game like this. You just have to be able to see what this looks like against teams that are, that are really, really good and give these guys minutes together. That starting unit still has not played tons together this season. I think they're like at 120 minutes or something like that, right? So I'll look it up as I'm talking. But that group is not – it's not like this starting unit. I think, like, the results have been fine, but it's not like this Dinwiddie, McHale, Cam Johnson, um, Cam Thomas, and Nick Claxton group has played a million minutes together. Like, I do think just getting him out there, having it look bad at times, having it look rough. Yeah, uh, oh, man, it's even less than I thought. It's only 42 minutes. Is this right? I wonder if this hasn't been updated for no, today. No, that can't be I right, because right? they're into game three now, I think, of the of that starting unit. I mean, but Cam Thomas gets subbed out pretty early sometimes, and he's That's not true. played tons. Like, even if this is a day behind, 
it can't be more than like 60 minutes, right? Yeah. And so, so that's another, that, it furthers your point, right? Just the sample size is still small. These guys, and maybe even the two players that I highlighted there, not to cut you off, in Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas, like that may be a big part of this. These guys functioning together. We know that Spencer Dinwiddie is a, I can go get my, or take my shot, whether or not he can get his own shot all the time is a discrepancy, but those two guys playing together and then incorporating everybody else as well. Like there, there's an adjustment for sure there. Yeah, so I just think like I'm always just going to be for that, and I just want to see how this looks, and and we'll live when it look. We get we should be able to live when it with when it looks bad, right, or when it doesn't look as good, because there just has to be these guys have to get into a good functional offense where they can and be able to fight through it on defense too. If you if yeah. you think this is the group, like if you think Cam Thomas and Bridges and Clax, like if these are the future guys, then there's just no sense to me in bringing in these other guys way off the bench to hope they can just do something. I just don't, I don't, I don't want to see that plan. And by the way, as we button this one up here, that's, this is really just, if you came into this game thinking Lonnie Walker would have had, you know, 10 minutes, whatever it is, 12 minutes using Armani Brooks in those 12 minutes, not because I, I know I mentioned, well, these two guys in the starting unit are struggling. It's not about, well, if Cam and Dinwiddie are struggling, do you look to get a spark from player X? Just functionally about, as we've said, redundancies in your depth. If you have these players that you believe are one-to-one -one replacements, would you go and utilize them? Now, that being said, I, I agree with you because Armani Brooks is not a part of the core guys who have been here over the start of this season and have said, hey, as we go into our depth, there's the players DFS went from starting unit now back to the bench. Royce O'Neal, et cetera. Those guys are playing every single night. They're getting consistent minutes. Those are the players that you've run with here. Armani Brooks is getting pushed up and down from the G League when you have injuries and you need someone in there. I think the best cure for any of these ills is just during, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. getting healthy, Lonnie yeah. Walker being healthy, and having the healthy unit of this team. Because, again, the Nets keep almost getting fully healthy here. Even take away Ben Simmons. They keep almost getting there. And then it's a couple games missed. It's a week missed. There's a world where neither Lonnie Walker or Dennis Smith Jr. are going to play this entire West Coast trip. And that's going to make it a different type of evaluation. Like there could be, I hate to prepare people for this, a little bit of a, man, I wish they had had these two players, especially depending on how this schedule works itself out. Bottom line is first game of the West Coast trip. It's a rough loss. Maybe it could have been, as Doug said, even worse than what it looked like in the final scorecard. But you got four more. You got four more good ones, boys. So tuck that one away and lift up another opportunity to win coming Wednesday night. All right, look, we'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to break down what else to think kind of we're looking forward to and kind of keep an eye out for on the West Coast trip. Maybe talk a little bit about some of these rotations too because there's been some borderline curious things that are happening here. And I'm wondering well, how bought in Jock Vaughn is on some of this stuff. We'll talk about that. Make sure in the meantime that you are subscribed over on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, they say sometimes a team just doesn't have the juice in a game. Well, if life gives you lemons, make some kind of fruity juice. That's Conan O'Brien. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.